gentlemen wrestling fans, good morning and welcome back to 80s Wrestling the Podcast. We are just two days away from the biggest party in the summer. We're talking SummerSlam this year. It takes place in Nashville, Tennessee, but today's show is a blast from the past as we revisit SummerSlam 1990, The Heat Returns. My name is Jumpin' Jay, and as always, I'm joined by the man who the heat never leaves. I'm talking about none other than my co-host, tag team partner, the engine behind 80s wrestling, ISPW, the wrestling collector, the last match, so much stuff is going on. <laughs> We're talking to Tommy Fierro. Tommy, good morning to you. Oh, well, first of all, Jake, good morning to you. Real, real quickly, I would like to say, you said the heat's always on me. Now, if you... <laughs> If you're in the business, my man, and you say the heat's always on me, that's not a, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. You don't want to have right, the heat man. on you. So I don't want I want I want I want you to reiterate what you just said because I don't want people thinking that I have heat on me because as far as I know, I'm I'm over with everyone. So that's uh, true. Yeah, you're man. over you? with everyone. I said it in the way that you know your feet are to the fire, man. You're always churning and oh, burning. No, no, no. You're always going I, to the next thing. I knew how you meant it. But for anyone out there, because I know a lot of the boys listen to this show, a lot of my guys listen to the show, and uh, my, my, my tag team partner, like you call me, saying that I always have heat on me, that's, that's not a good thing in our business, my man. You're, you're absolutely right. I apologize. Tommy's got no heat. No one's got heat with Tommy, but Tommy is on fire. You got some big things kicking off about a week from now, Tommy. You got some big things happening in your neck of the woods. Fill me in before we jump into today's topic. Well, well, first of all, we have a big thing this weekend in, in New Jersey. One of the big events they do every year is the uh, Balloon Festival. It's the uh, New Jersey Lottery Balloon Festival, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. ISPW is actually going to have a booth at it. So we'll be there promoting our brand and also promoting the store of the Wrestling Collector. So if you are going to uh, – if you live in the New Jersey, New York area and go to the Balloon Festival this weekend, which is it's – a, it's a gigantic thing, uh, Jay, that there's – you know, tons of different vendors and food and bands performing and stuff like that. It's a pretty, pretty popular deal in Jersey. So it's, it's really cool that we're going to be a part of it. Uh, so if you're planning on going into it this weekend, I will be there all weekend, ISPW. So. And then uh, next week, yeah, next week starts the uh, New Jersey State Fair. And we're going to have a different wrestler there every night. This is going to be from August 5th to August 13th. So be at the Sussex County Fairgrounds in Augusta, New Jersey. Uh, the New Jersey State Fair, the first night we're going to have, again, it's the 5th from the 13th. We have Tony Atlas there, the boogeyman. Jim Ross is going to be making a, a super rare appearance. Enzo will be there. Doink the Clown, Ray Apollo will be there. Brutus the Barber Beak, Reg the Hammer Valentine. The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and then rounding out the fair will be X-Pac. So we're doing Pro Wrestling Week for nine days at the New Jersey State Fair in Augusta, New Jersey, at the Sussex County Fairgrounds, again from August 5th to the 13th. So if you're in the New Jersey area and planning on going, uh, we'll be there every day as well. Man, I tell you what, Tommy, the only thing I get at my local fair is maybe a hot dog on a stick. And so I am <laughs> jealous that you got nine days of legends that you can go and meet. And you could probably get a hot dog on a stick well, well, listen, as well. Here, here's the problem, Jay, and, and I'm sure that you'll attest to this, is that when you go to the fair, right, you, you want to eat all the good stuff. You want to have the sausage and the pepper sandwiches. You want to have the funnel cakes. You want to have the – I mm. always want ice cream. So imagine having to be there for a night. So it's from 6 to 9 every day except for Jim Ross the day is 4 to 7. But 
it's all still during dinner time. So you got to eat while you're there, right? So I can only imagine how much weight I'm going to gain uh, in nine days. It'll be a deep fried nine days for sure, Tommy. But that's Ooh, it, it, deep fried nine days. That's a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt right there, baby. That's a t-shirt right there. Hey, today we're talking about SummerSlam 1990, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you because the show that they plan to put on is not the show that they got to put on due to injuries, due to work visa issues, due to other things. There was a lot of substitutions in the 1990 SummerSlam pay-per-view, and I'm talking to a successful promoter in the wrestling business. And I know, Tommy, your philosophy is that when you can't deliver what you plan on deliver, you try to go above and beyond and deliver something even better. So when we go through this pay-per-view, Tommy, if it's okay with you, when there's a substitution that I know about, I want to get your opinion on it and see if you thought it was better than what the original plan was or if it was just so-so. Would that be okay with you, Tommy? That, first of all, that sounds really cool. I look forward to that. All right, before we jump into our conversation, we do have two callers on hold. We're going to kick off the conversation by talking to our longtime friend, good time friend of the show, Danny from Butler. Good morning to you, sir. Tommy, Jumping Jay, good morning. Uh, how you guys uh, feeling? Danny from Butler, my main man. We're going to be coming your way August 19th, brother, Friday night, ISPW Summertime Blues at St. Uh, Anthony's Church Gym in Butler. Main event's going to be a TLC match, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, like I said, I'm, def- I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's been a while since I've been to a show, but I'm that one uh, I definitely made up plans to be at. Oh, that's awesome, man. Maybe maybe we could do a live report from you the following week on the show. How's that sound, Jay? That would be absolutely incredible. Let's plan for that. That's awesome. Absolutely. Danny, what are your favorite memories or moments from SummerSlam 1990, the Heat Returns? What do you remember about that pay-per-view? Well, what I remember, the, you know, uh, probably one of the the better SummerSlams, um, you know, the beginning, you know, I was just, it was, I think, the third installment. Um, from top to bottom, the, the card was pretty good. It was a solid card. Um, you know, yeah, some, you know, great matches, like you said, and, you know, you guys said there was a, a lot of substitutions that had to be made. I know, you know, originally it was uh, Bob Brutus that was scheduled to go up against uh, Perfect, but we all know what happened. Uh, he had that uh, horrific uh, parasailing accident that uh, pretty much derailed his career. So, you know, uh, they, they, you know, comes uh, you, you throw it in Kerry Von Erich and on a very short notice. Um, you also, I remember, you know, and one of the, the, the co-main event, you had a, uh, Hogan and uh, he was supposed to have Tugbo in his corner, but it, I don't know what you know. They they do the angle that he ends up, they end up uh, taking him out, and he has a big boss man on his corner going up against Earthquake and Demo Bravo, uh, which was a uh, you know yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty solid uh, matchup. Uh, you know the main event, obviously the steel cage between uh, the Warrior and Rick Rude. I think they did a tremendous job you know, building up that match right after the Warrior won the title at WrestleMania, you know, you always had, you, you had, you know, Rick Rude, he had that new look, he cut his hair, I think he looked, you know, a lot more intimidating with that look, uh, when, you know, when he cut it, you know, you've seen all these little vignettes of him uh, running on the beach, you know, training in the gym, jump, you know, like climbing, the, you know, the, the rope, 
and and doing all this stuff, and you know they they kept uh you know they kept rehashing how he's the only guy that that he already beat the Warrior early, obviously WrestleMania five. So they did a, a great job telling the story. They went out there, you know they had a you know they had a pretty I think it's pretty solid main event for the Steel Cage out. You know my my personal favorite match was the the tag team title match, the two out of three falls between the the, the Hearts and Demolition. They uh, I think they went out there. They put on a hell of a show. You know, we all know that uh, pretty much I think that was the end of Axe's uh, demolition tenure. That's why they they brought in Crush because he he couldn't go out there physically. I think he had whatever heart issues or whatever it was. But, you know, they they, they pretty much they tore tore the roof off in that uh, tag team title match where the, the, the hearts went over. You know, with a little help of the Legion of Doom, but you know, it wasn't like I said. It was from top to bottom. I think it was a great show. Um, you know, had um, I think they, I think Sergeant Slaughter was on the Brother Love show, so that was a pretty, uh, that was a good surprise there. Um, you had a good, a solid tag team title match between the Rockers and I think uh, the Power and Glory. You know, those those guys went out and had a, a tremendous match. Uh, and like I said, it was one of the better SummerSlams, and I think SummerSlam '91 followed up another as, as well for another great show. But you know, it was a great. Uh, I think it was a great show altogether. Some great uh, storylines. You all know what happened, you know, with the Hogan and uh, Earthquake, the whole build up to that. So, you know, they definitely it was a, a lot of great storytelling on the writers and just a well, overall you know, Danny, a great why don't show. You, why don't you talk about that? Talk about that for a minute. Talk about the build up. For the Hulk Hogan earthquake matches, all Hogan's build-ups for big matches were great, and this this was no exception. So, uh, tell me maybe some parts that you remember of that match that made you excited for watching that back in 1990. Well, you know, you just you, you finally saw, you know, like Hogan, like I guess like real vulnerable, you know, at that time. Now I think you know he obviously had just finished. Uh, he dropped the title to Warrior, so. You know, you had uh, that angle, and, um, you know, I think they, uh, before, you know, right around that time, you know, they would, uh, you know, Jimmy Hart, I guess, in, in, in some uh, promos pretty much uh, said that he, uh, Earthquake, had something to do with it, I guess, prior to WrestleMania. I guess they had, a, you know, a couple of uh, TV tapings where he will go out and, you know, they would, uh, you know, he would attack either the Warrior or Hogan, and, you know, one would come to each other's age. So that, you know, they, they pretty much did a good build-up on that. You know, we all know what happens on the Brother Love show where uh, he gets uh, Pearl Harbor, and, uh, you know, it, it looked real bad. As a kid, you didn't know, like, oh, my goodness, this might be the end of Hogan. So then you you had Tugboat, you know, starting up the, the fan line, you know, for, yeah. for uh, you know, the guys to you know to, to the fans to write to Hogan. I'm obviously I was one of them, and you know they, they did a good job at that. You know, by, now what, uh, you uh, Danny, know, I don't mean I don't Danny, I don't mean to cut you off real quickly because I'm going to lose my train of thought. Is this is is this when they were doing the Hulk Hogan friendship bracelet or not? I, I, I think it is, right? I I believe so. I, I think yeah. I think I think Tugboat did. And Jay, I think he did wear it. I'm not a hundred. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think you you are you right you are right. Yep, you were right. That's when they did this. Earthquake okay, took them out, and then this is when Danny, the friendship quick, bracelet so came in. Yes. So you as a fan, uh, Danny, you sent in the letter for the Hulk Hogan, because uh, I know they put up the P.O. box up on the on the screen during the TV show. So what? let me ask a question. I, I, mean, I know you're only a young kid at this point. 
you have any idea what you remember what you wrote to that letter to Hulk Hogan to cheer him up? I pretty much, uh, you know, like I said, I was what, nine years old at the time, so I'm still pretty relatively, uh, you know, innocent still. And, you know, it, 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 they made it look like real, they made it look real serious. They played, you know, they, they, they played it perfectly. And, you know, I pretty much, you know, wrote you know, to him, you know, how, you know, he, you know, he was my hero and all that stuff, uh, you know, you know, pretty much, you know, talking about all the great memories I had of him, you know, whether it was slamming Andre or teaming up with, with, with Randy, um, you know, pretty much just, you know, words of encouragement, you know, to, you know, to come back and uh, to get back at an earthquake. And, you know, when you get, you know, when you get that eight by 10, you know, I don't know when it was, I probably got, you know, how, how long it took for the fans to get a, some type of response. I remember, I was thinking, I got an eight by 10 of Hogan. Um, I don't remember exactly what the picture was. I don't know if it was just him posing in the yellow tights or him in the gym. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but, you know, it had some type of a, you know, a pretty much a, a thank you message, you know, for, you know, for getting, giving them some type of inspiration to get back into the ring. So that I definitely remember. What I did with the picture, I had no idea, but I definitely got one. Interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. And the buildup to that match was very memorable. And this was the first SummerSlam pay-per-view. Now, it was only the third one that they put on, but this was the first one that Hulk Hogan was not main eventing. So he kind of took a back seat and you could call it a co-main event. You could call it uh, whatever you want to call it, but he wasn't closing the show like we were accustomed to seeing, but it was still a big time matchup because at that time they were building earthquake to be something special. They were building him to be the next big thing that could possibly destroy Hulkamania. And so a fan, yeah, you were ready to tune in and see Hulk Hogan take on, this larger-than-life character known as the Earthquake. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, absolutely. He, um, like I said, the, the match itself. Uh, I think uh, you know, even Hogan ended up winning by a countout. I think he still uh, made a you know Earthquake look you know pretty strong at the end end of that. You know, by taking the the, the chair shots to the back, and then, you know, I know later on that night in the promo, you, you see all the the, the um. Uh, the the effects of the chair shots on his back, so you know you knew that that uh, feud was uh, still pretty much far from over. So they they built that up pretty well, um, and like I said, it was just from top to bottom a great great show. I you know it kind of it's kind of disappointing. I don't think uh, Kerry Von Erich, uh, whatever Texas Tornado, didn't really have much of a a memorable run with that belt. But like I said, they, they, I think they did the right thing on putting it back on perfect because he. Uh, pretty much uh, solidified uh, that title, you know, going forward for a long time. So, like I said, top to bottom, a great pay-per-view, one of the better SummerSlams, and like I said, it's uh, they did a great job and, you know, very, very memorable. I agree that it's very memorable, and what's funny to me is it's a, it's a pay-per-view that, as fans, we look back at and we have uh, a fond memory of, but if you look at, and this is the part of wrestling that always makes me makes me kind of scratch my head. If you look at the buy rate out of the first seven SummerSlams, this was the lowest attended. It had a lower buy rate than the previous year, 
But wow. then the next year, 1991, the buy rate's even lower. And so I don't know if it was people just weren't accustomed to buying this midsummer pay-per-view, if they were still just kind of tuning in to maybe the Rumble and maybe WrestleMania. Um, but from a buy rate pr- perspective, SummerSlam wasn't anything special. But yet, as you and I reminisce with Tommy here, we're kind of picking out some moments that stick in our mind, which uh, it's interesting what sticks in the fans of minds that maybe didn't cross over a- into dollar signs back then. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I still can't understand that, you know, how the, the buy rates were so low because I, I still think overall the the product was, was, was very hot, whether it was Hogan as the champion or whether it was the Warrior as the champion. Um, it, I don't, I don't see how that happened, but I mean, at the, you know, it still doesn't take away from the show itself because I thought it was a, a solid show. Period. You know, I think the first five, four, five Summer Slams were probably the the best ones. After that, you know, you, you had a little bit of here, miss, uh, hits and misses here and there, but you know, Summer Slam '90 I thought uh, was a tremendous uh, show. You know, and like I said, especially you know, I'm, my favorite match was the the tag team match. You know, you had uh, the Hearts and Demolition. You know, that was just the second time, and the and, you know they they were in uh, they were involved in SummerSlam matches uh, two two out of the first three SummerSlams, and I think both of those matches were great. I think you're right. I think the the tag team match between the Heart Foundation and Demolition is probably the highlight of this pay per view for myself. Uh, and so I, I think you're right on. I think that was the one that maybe stole the show, even though we saw Hogan Earthquake and then we saw Ultimate Warrior's first major title defense since winning the belt off Hogan at that year's WrestleMania. Overall, Danny says it's a memorable pay-per-view. I, I agree. We're talking about it this many years later. Yeah, I, do, I remember it. Danny, thank you so much for calling in, brother, and kicking off this show in only the way you can. We appreciate it. All right, guys, you guys, you guys have, have a great weekend. Uh, you guys uh, take care and uh, keep uh, hitting it out the ballpark. Hey, Danny, thanks for helping to see you at the, uh, at the State Fair one of those days, one of those guys I have coming up. Oh, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely I'll make my way one of those days. That's, a, that's definitely a priority. Awesome, man. And we look forward to seeing you at ISPW on August 19th in, uh, in yes, Butler. Yes, sir. I'll, 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 I will be there. Look forward to that. All, All right. Thank you, Danny. Guys, uh, take care. All right, Tommy, we're going to keep the conversation rolling by checking in with the man with so many talents from the country that's so much better than yours. We're talking to David from Canada. How you doing today, eh? Hold on. Don't let let him answer yet because I want to say something to him real quick. Listen, man, last week I got a a, a nice card in the mail from you to my store. Let me tell you how good this guy is, man. He wrote me – I don't want to say what's in the note. He wrote me such a nice. He sent me a, a personal card, uh, Jay, and he wrote such a nice message in it for me, man. I just want to say thank you very much, man. You're you're awesome. Uh, thanks, Tommy. I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm glad it came, got through okay, and and I'm glad that you that you uh, like what I had to say. Yeah, man, and I'm getting, and I meant every word of it. Yeah, dude, you're you're awesome, man. That really, seriously, it was very touching what you wrote, man. I, it means a lot to me. Thank you so much. No problem. SummerSlam uh, 1990. I, I have a couple of points that uh, that I want to make uh, on it. I thought it was a great pay-per-view. And the things that I like about it, especially now looking back on it, is the two things. One is the, the commitment to long-term storytelling that I think is, is lost a lot in, in the wrestling world today. 
you know, the, the Ultimate Warrior and and Rick Rude feud here that that's happening, right, started in the 1989 Royal Rumble, right? And it's gone you know, that long to sort of culminate here, right? You're, that's over a year. Uh, and it's so rare uh, these days to see that, right? It's something that goes that long that, you know, people will remember or stay invested in for that length of time. Uh, and the other thing that I found interesting and entertaining about this is uh, the match that was on between uh, the Bolsheviks or the former Bolsheviks, Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov, and how – you know, when, when something's done right, you take reality and and bring it in, but you bring – and, they, you know, the WWF has done this lost in the past, but we've taken reality and, and done well with it. So you here you have, you know, uh, Volkov, who's from Lithuania, who's broken off from the Soviet Union, right? And so you have this split between the tag team, one who's now pro-Western, one who's still, you know, trying to relive the, day, the glory days of the communist East. Sure. Uh, and have that in the match, right? And I think that it's just, I would say here, the overall, because it goes to the same thing, is it's effective storytelling. And, and that, at least for me as a fan, is a thing that is going to draw me in more than anything else because you want to see how it develops. And then once you're invested, you want to see how it ends. Sure. I, I, I agree with that 100%, man. And real quickly, before you get into more of your thoughts of, SummerSlam 1990, I just want to make mention that you, you, you said the Bolsheviks name. You know, I know you've been listening to the uh, the podcast for a little bit now, man. You know you're talking love language to uh, Jumpin' Jay when you, you mentioned the Bolsheviks name. Hey, I know for well, a fact I, I that have, our ratings you know just I mean? went up. You can't, you can't not when you have the opportunity. <laughs> Listen, we were the, – the, the Episode where we talked about the Bolshevish in depth, we were number one in Russia that week, and so I know we we're, we're going to see an uptick. We were. <laughs> I, mean, I know we're going to see an uptick this week. Well, there you go. So, uh, what what else for you stood out on that show? Just you know, this back in this nineteen ninety now. So we're all we're all very young at this point. But as a child, what what stood out to you on that show? What was, if I say three things, I said, "Hey, man." Looking back at SummerSlam 1990, three things taken away from that, what would, it be, what would they be? I would be the Hart Foundation winning, obviously. Uh, anything with, you know, my Canadian guy, Bret Hart, in it uh, is always going to be is something. And, and especially against uh, Demolition, too, right? Like, that's tag team royalty right there, um, which I probably didn't realize to the same degree at the time. Uh, you know, I'm probably just cheering for the Hart Foundation and happy that they won, but still – that happen and to have a two out of three falls match right anything like that is you know you're going to get something creative especially when it's involving those people um and then uh, the other thing was probably hogan like i was when i was young i was hulkamaniac so anytime that hogan's on the card that's going to be something i want to pay attention to and i always was a fan of earthquake as well um so i think that match would stood out to me as well because and even though I know Earthquake's a Canadian guy, uh, I would have been cheering for Hogan and happy that Hogan won. You know, when when you said Earthquake was a Canadian guy, it sparked the memory of me. When he first debuted, they called him the Canadian Earthquake. Yeah, that's, and then right. They, that's right. Then they dropped that and just went to Earthquake, 
why this is just a re- weird question, but why do you think they called him the Canadian earthquake? Just because they wanted to tie his roots back to Canada, or are the earthquakes in Canada that much worse than everywhere else in the world? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that's the reason. Um, we don't get a ton of earthquakes up here, so I, I would think it would probably maybe be trying to tie it into the the heel persona a little bit, you know, um, and then just saying uh, we don't really need it. You know, there's a, there's a lot of I think examples of that where the character, you know, for example, because I've been watching the biography recently, Undertaker. Like his original name was Kane the Undertaker, mm-hmm. and then they took the Kane part away, and then obviously Kane came back later as his brother. But I think it's like, oh, we've got this name, you know, this kind of thing, and it's like, ah, do we really need the Canadian part? Like, does it really help with this persona? And I, I think it's one of those that didn't need it, and so they dropped it. I guess at the start of the gimmick, it helped explain why he, he and Dino Bravo were kind of together. Because I guess if you didn't have the Canadian yeah. earthquake, you might scratch your head and go, why, why is the Canadian strongman teaming up with Earthquake? No, for sure. I, 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 I agree with that. I'll tell you what, looking back on it now as, as adults, now I'm sure that you, you, you'll two agree with me. Like, they're clever names, Typhoon and, and Earthquake. <laughs> they're just, they're clever names. I, I, I think so. They are, and I, and I yeah, worry no, that. And sorry, go ahead. I, just, I worry that we're past that point in wrestling. Like I don't think a guy could debut now with the name Earthquake or Typhoon. Not. Or, you know, you got to have kind of a, a real standard name, first and last, or at least just a last name in today's wrestling scene. But back then, yeah, they were creative. I mean, Earthquake, Typhoon, the Natural Disasters. It, it's amazing. Definitely. And I agree with you, Jay. I think, you know, that kind of, I think it also goes with the fact that, you know, these kind of larger than life cartoon characters that we had in the eighties and the early nineties, right. That that era of the wrestling is definitely gone. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't think, you know, naming somebody earthquake or, uh, you know, tugboat or anything like that now would, would work for today's audience. Do you think uh, Kerry Von Erich missed a heel turn as the tornado part of the natural disasters? <laughs> yes, absolutely. It could, it could be. I mean, I, I you <laughs> know that's the thing that the Von Erich's so famous, and and um, Kerry Von Erich's run as Texas Tornado, you know, in WWF was not that memorable. So, you know, he had his moments, but you know, is that something that we, when we look back on and think about them? I mean, for me anyway, I think about them more still in the. Um, world-class championship right absolutely absolutely and this pay-per-view was probably the texas tornado's highlight when he beat mr perfect for the ic title but he had such a short stint in the wwf you would have hoped that if he could have come in healthy that he would have had a much longer more successful more memorable run uh, in the world wrestling federation absolutely absolutely all right. Well, David, thank you so much, man, for calling in. We always appreciate your point of view up there from uh, just a superior place, I guess, Canada, where you come in with your, your high intellectual take on the world of wrestling. We appreciate it. I do what I can, guys. Thanks. Uh, I know it's been a while since I've called in, uh, and I always appreciate you taking my call, and I enjoy the conversation. So you guys take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, listen, real quick, too, if you want to send – I don't know if you heard at the top of the program all these guys I'm bringing into the New Jersey State Fair from the 5th to the 13th. If you want to um, send anything for those guys to sign, just let me know. Send me a message. Will do, Tommy. Thanks. All right, man. Thank you, brother. All right. Take care. 
You too, David. Thank you so much. All right, Tommy, before the conversation keeps going, I got to pause and I got to pick your brain here because as we were prepping for today's show and I saw kind of some of the lineup changes, I just kept thinking, as a promoter, you must have been scrambling behind the scenes to find substitutions that would still make your audience want to buy your pay-per-view. And then the light bulb went off. And I said, I'm talking today to a successful wrestling promoter. So can I just take a few minutes, Tommy, and pick your brain? I want to go down this card. I want to just talk about some of the substitutions and see in the Tommy Fierro mindset, did they go above and beyond and deliver something even more special or did it kind of fall flat in your opinion? Are you up for that? Oh yeah. I, I love stuff like this. All right, well, the first change that I want to talk about isn't in any of the matches. It's in the announcing team. Okay. Normally, we see the pairing of Jesse the Body Ventura and Vince McMahon calling big pay-per-views in this time era. Okay. Just briefly before SummerSlam 1990, Jesse Ventura ended up leaving the company based on a dispute with his name being used in a video game that Vince McMahon didn't agree with. So they kind of had a blow up and, and he walks out. And so as a substitution, how, 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 how close was it before the pay-per-view? Do you, do you have that information or no? I'd have to look that up, but I mean, it's relatively close. Like they were planning on Jesse, the body being the announcer. He splits. And so then they substitute in Rowdy Roddy Piper to take his place as kind of the color commentary man. In your mind as a promoter, if you have Jesse the Body Ventura as your color man, he leaves, you substitute in Rowdy Piper, what kind of substitution is that in your mind? Well, 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 well. Um, A suitable replacement. I want to say that only because Piper probably didn't have nearly as much, I mean, obviously one of the greatest talkers in in the history of this industry, but there's a difference between cutting a promo and then talking for three plus hours. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a totally different animal. So you know, he probably as good of a talker as he is. He wasn't used to talking for that long. So it's still though, I mean, a spur of the moment situation like that, where, you know, the body leaves, you need a suitable replacement. Hell, they couldn't have picked a better person than Rowdy Roddy Piper. One of the greatest talkers in the history of the business, such a colorful guy, even more, I will go to say even more colorful, colorful than Jesse the Body Ventura, so more than a suitable replacement. I think maybe not as far as Jesse was a better... Jesse was definitely a better um, broadcaster than, than, than Roddy was, but as far as a bigger star goes, I mean, Piper definitely defeats him on that. So, yeah, man, that's a great replacement. Jesse Ventura left the company one week prior to SummerSlam. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, you couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't pick a better... And that short of notice, man, that short of notice when your your back's up against the wall, and I know this from experience. I mean, obviously it's on an independent level, but it's it's still the same. You can, I mean, that that far outseeds uh, just and, and and trust me, I, I just had Jesse the Body Ventura at my convention a couple months ago, and he was over tremendously. But he's no Roddy Piper. I'm sorry. As great but as anyone. he is, as great as he is, he's not Roddy Piper. Like you maybe said, he's you a have... better, maybe he's a better broadcaster than Roddy Piper. He's not a bigger star than Roddy Piper. So yeah, it's a, it's a more than sensible replace uh, uh, substitute. Well, and when you have seven days to find, that's a short amount of time to find somebody. So and you need someone that can think quick on their feet and be comfortable 
in that spot. And so I think you're right. I think that was probably the best option you could have in that moment. And so that oh, one yeah, gets I, a, I, 100%. That one gets an approval from Tommy Firo. The next thing, it's not really a change, but I just want to talk to you about it. Because in the world of okay. wrestling, things happen. So in the power and glory match, taking on the Rockers, Shawn Michaels has a legitimate knee injury prior to the show. Happens on a house show. So he cannot physically compete. So they kind of do this thing where they have Shawn Michaels get attacked by Hercules in the chain prior to the show, explaining why Shawn Michaels can't actually be part of the match. He makes it down to the ring, but he, Shawn, Marty Jannetty has to do the heavy lifting for the six minutes of the match. And it sure. kind of gives a reasoning for power and glory uh, to beat the Rockers in only six minutes. If you're the promoter, one of your performers has a legitimate injury, can't perform. Is this a great way to kind of get on with the show, fake an injury with a chain, explain it to the audience, and then have the match anyway? Five billion percent because you look at it this way. I mean, who can really fit in? At the, at the time, the Rockers were pretty probably, pretty popular with the crowd, right? So, like, who is going to play that role that's not already booked on the show of being that, you know, super cool, young, hip kind of guy that's rocking and rolling, the music coming out. Look at it this way. Like, and, and again, they have matching outfits. Everyone back then had – the tag teams had matching outfits. They looked the same. They acted the same. So, first of all, you, you, you put in a substitute for Shawn Michaels with Marty, with them doing that rockers gimmick. It's going to look stupid regardless who it is. I don't care if it's freaking uh, Hulk Hogan. It's still not going to look right. On, on either on paper or live while people are watching it. So uh, doing that storyline and just having, you know, Marty do the heavy lifting on it, uh, it, it, it that's a no-brainer. I, I think that, like I said, if you could put Hulk Hogan in there, it still would have looked weird because Hulk Hogan would look like Marty Gennetti and, and his, his gimmick is completely different, you know what I mean? No, I, I completely agree. And it's better than canceling the match or it's better than having a two-on-one uh announcing an injury to kind of show the injury taking place with the chain explains it. You get Shawn Michaels at least getting the, you know, the encouragement of the crowd because he's coming down, he's going to try to compete, but he's, his knee just can't hold up. And then you and get it also, it also, from Marty. Builds, it also builds uh, anticipation and the climax in the match as well. So yeah, man, I think the way they did it was just perfect. All right. So there you go. Another kind of, Rolling with the punches, uh, move by the WWF, gets a thumbs up from Tommy Fierro. The next one is a big one. This is the one that I'm very excited to get your take on. Yeah, man. Um, as as uh, Danny from Butler already alluded, this is the Texas Tornado Mr. Perfect match. And originally, yep. it was supposed to be Brutus the Barber Beefcake taking on Mr. Perfect. Um, first of all, and then something else happens as well. But first of all, I want to get your take on that. Beefcake versus perfect compared to Texas Tornado versus perfect. Which match do you think would have been better on the card? How do you see it? Well, um, there's no question that Brutus at the time was more over than Curry Van Ark was in the WWF at that time. Overall, Correct. as far as careers goes, I mean, probably Curry Van Ark has a bigger name, you know. But in this time frame, where, where it's placed on the show – uh, I think, and this is the second time now Brutus was supposed to be in that Intercontinental title spot, I believe, and then and didn't work out for him. But 
you, you look at the card. So again, we did this a couple of weeks ago where you can look who's on the roster at that time and look who's already on the card. Look who's not booked on the card and can something be switched around. We don't know. We have to go, we have to analyze all the different storylines that were going on at the time. So there's a lot of moving parts on something like this when it, when it was last second like that, but for what it was, uh, obviously they brought in Curry Von Eric with the uh, idea in mind that he was going to get a push and he was going to be one of their, you know, higher level guys. So for that take alone, I think it's definitely worth it. I think that um, I think it's a, a very suitable replacement, even though uh, Beefcake was probably more popular with with the fans in general than uh, Curry Von Ark was at that point. Um, but yeah, man, I think it's uh, when stuff like that happens last second. And remember the the, the big moving part, Jay. Is even, and back then it was way worse because back then it wasn't like two three week storylines. It was like two three four month storylines. So everyone's already for the most part, program with someone at that point already if the injury came down last second. I don't know uh, at what point the injury, how far from the injury till I think it was, it was a boating accident, right? So I think it was the 4th of July he got into that boating accident. Am I right or no? Nope, that is correct. Yep, Bruce Barbie okay, so has that boating action. Okay, so if, if this was already on the books then. So obviously back then uh, they booked stuff far in advance. So, you know, I'm sure on July 3rd, the show was already the, the show was already done already for for this right. pay per view, so the, the pay per view is only a, a month later, you know. So it's probably already it's already booked up. All the storylines already booked up, and it was August twenty seventh. So I'm sure within a month and a half they have it booked out already. So you, at that point, you look who's not on the show, and you look at you know what is the best option. See, I I love when the stuff like this happens. I trust me, I don't like when guys get hurt or. Or I, I'm not saying from that point, for like me, for like, so there's so many different independent promotions in the New Jersey area. So sometimes, you know, guys get booked before you give them a date. You know, for the most part, I have all my guys all the time. But once in a while, you know, someone I want will have a date already. And I, I, I say, if, you know, they booked you first, you work with them, you know. But sometimes it's fun for me because, you know, and for the most part, I only do like seven matches, maybe sometimes eight matches. But you can only fit so many people on the show. So if you have X amount of regulars, that takes up pretty much all the matches already anyway. So when there's chances where, like someone, like for example, my one guy, Trax, uh, he was on vacation in June. He missed two of the shows. So he's my regular. So now that's an open spot. I already I book him on all the shows. So now there's two spots open for two shows where I can bring in someone new and take a look at them and see what they got. So I... I kind of dig when some of my regular guys are booked or have a vacation or something. So it gives me the opportunity to bring in some new faces and take a look at them. You know, does that make sense? No, that does make sense. Absolutely. And like you said, they brought in Von Eric with the, in, they're going to get him over at some point. And sure. so while SummerSlam 1990 might've been sooner than they had thought since beefcake wasn't there, they had to look at who they had and who they could get. Um, but it's interesting is, the Texas Tornado was not their first choice as a fill-in for Brutus the Bar Beefcake. They actually reached out to the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, who had left the company in 1988. They reached out to him to see if he could come back to fill in at SummerSlam 1990 against Mr. Perfect, but he couldn't get his work visa in time. It was too short of a notice. So let me ask you this, Tommy. Who would have been a better fill-in, Bulldog or Tornado? Bulldog. Definitely mm. bulldog. You look, you look at you look at the uh, the history of them both in WWF together. Remember, this is this is over, this is not overall. This is WWF. So 
if you look at it, Bulldog has a much more prominent uh, career in WWF at that point than, than Curry Von Erich does. And he's probably more he's probably more familiar with the fans of WWF with WWF than than, than Curry is. You're right about that. And the fact that he's had a at this time it would have been a two year hiatus. I think fans would have been excited to hear that music, to see him come through the oh, yeah. curtain. I think uh, Mr. Perfect could have sold facially, you know, when that music hits and he comes out. Um, and then oh, it would yeah, have been major, kind of... Major pop. Major yeah, pop. And it, would, dun, dun, it would have been... Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, it would have been... Uh, it would have been strength and power against, like, the technician, and so it could have been an interesting uh, match of styles. Yeah, I think, I think I would have rather seen that match at that time as well. Um but again, they couldn't do that. And so as the promoter, they're kind of looking at what avenues they can explore. What can they bring in? What yeah, can they made a great, they made a great choice, man. They really did. So, yeah, so it, I think if, Bulldog, if Bulldog couldn't do it, there's, and, and you just look at the roster of people that, because I, I am looking at the roster right now, the people that were available at that point, they made a fine, fine, fine choice with uh, Texas Tornado. All right. So, so far, three substitutions get the approval from uh, Tommy Fierro. I got one more substitution, and then two other notes I want to ask you about. The next substitution uh, came in match number five. What we saw was the Warlord take on Tito Santana. What we were supposed to see was kind of the blow-off feud between former Strike Force teammates. It was supposed to be Rick Martel versus Tito Santana, but Rick Martel had an injury, could not compete. And so they gave a kayfabe story about how he was at a fashion show in Paris and the warlord was the substitute in your mind. Was the warlord an upgrade or did it fall flat? I would say it fell flat because obviously Martel was more over than warlord was. I think at this point, warlord was just probably starting his singles run. I'm not sure I have the date in front of me to see exactly when he started his single run, but I'm, I'm assuming it, he's probably less than a year in at this point. And, and, and the model with all those vignettes they did with him, he was, you know, he's pretty established as far as a, as a character goes, but if something went down and he got hurt last second, again, it's the same situation where you look on the card, you see who's available because the, the, this stuff happens. Matches are already booked. Guys are already in different storylines. So I'd have to pull up the roster again and look at who wasn't on the show but I know at that point they probably had high hopes for a singles run for Warlord, so they might have been looking at looking at it as far as like a uh, a stepping stone to, to, to climb him up an extra peg or two on the, the totem pole. So from that standpoint, someone so established as Tito, it, it makes sense if they had it in their mind that Warlord was going to be one of their top heels, and they they might might have had that in their mind at that time. So for that point alone, if that's the case. I think it's a fine, fine substitution. Again, I don't know where their, their train of thought was. I don't know if it was a situation where uh, Martel was like, you know, a week before he went out and then he needed someone quick or um, they just, you know, they were looking at Warlord as being a future player for them and they figured that Tito was a good stepping stone for him. So either either way, it makes sense, I think. The unfortunate thing is fans never really got to see that big blow-off match between Martel and Santana on a yeah, big pay-per-view. I this know. was supposed to be that. Martel got injured in June, and they kept promoting the Martel-Santana match right up until a week before SummerSlam because they were hoping 
that he would be able to compete in some form and fashion. Yeah, so they really only then. Yeah, they really only had about a week to find a substitution, uh, and it ended up being the big, powerful warlord. And kind of like you said, his they his early on in his singles run where he's wearing like the half metal face plate mask, the shoulder pads. He had a really cool look to him. And so sure. if you're again trying to push him, this might have been a good way to do it. The last two things I want to question you on are not substitutions, but they're a thing that probably is always in the back of the mind of a promoter. One of them is after the Jake Roberts Bad News Brown match, Bad News Brown ends up leaving the WWE after this match. This was his last big match for the company. I just want to know from your perspective as a promoter, what kind of loss is that to your roster for a guy like Bad News Brown to to be done and to leave the company? Well, first of all, that's a great question. Second of all, I appreciate you wanting my opinion on that. Uh, I think I think that he was someone that was very much underutilized in WWF, in my opinion. Like he he was a good mid card heel, and there, you know, he flirted with the top spot for a, a month or two when he did you know on the road with Hogan. But I think that they probably could have elevated him a little bit higher on the card than he was. And, and I think that he did a great job. I mean, you saw those freaking uh, promos he would do holding a freaking possum. That was a legit possum, or right? It was, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, dude, that's dedication to a category. I would not. I'm sorry, dude. I would not want to hold and, – and back then, remember, they were doing, they were doing their um, – promos for all the different live event markets so if they're going to be in jersey on saturday and new york on sunday and boston on monday he has to do all these different promos holding this fucking excuse my language this possum in his hand so i mean that's that's dedication to a character and i just think that he he was legitimate he looked like a badass his work was great uh he's someone i really i really liked i think that he was very much uh underrated as far as a, a worker goes so if you have a performer like that to see him leave the company, that leaves a hole in kind of your roster. Um, well, and it's I, one I, don't, I, I don't know because I think that I think that he he was towards the end he was like like a high mid card guy maybe. So it ain't like they're replacing a main event top guy. You can always elevate someone and throw them into that spot. Maybe maybe Warlord was someone they had in mind. Here you go. Just thinking as far as the promoter goes, right? So oh, sure. The bad news is leaving. All right, let's let's give freaking uh, let's give Warlord a shot to try and get in that spot, you know, you know, a little like a little bit higher than a mid card level heel. Uh, that could have been their idea as well when he wore Tito. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're thinking eight moves ahead like a promoter has to do, you might already I'm, have. I'm an you, if, if I was thinking that, like if, if he he that's I'm, all right. Well, I know he's leaving. All right, let's let's try and fucking elevate Warlord a little bit. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's move him up. All right, Tito's a credible guy. Been around forever, former Intercontinental Champion. I, I think you know. I think Tito putting him over clean would, you know, put some eyes on Warlord. So yeah, that that could have been the reason why. I like that. I like that insight. That very well could be the reason. I got one more thing, and then we got a couple callers hanging on hold. The main event saw the Ultimate Warrior with his first major title defense since winning the belt against Hogan at that year's WrestleMania. He went up against Ravishing Rick Rude in that beautiful blue steel cage that we all love good match memorable match great competitors the sad thing is this is rick rude's last notable appearance for the wwe at this time he ends up leaving 
shortly after for two reasons, okay? And this would never happen if you were holding the book, Tommy. I know that. But it happened back then, and so I just want to get your mindset on maybe what the company was thinking and what Rick Rude was thinking and who might have been in the right and who might have been in the wrong. The first dispute was over the payout for the pay-per-view, which I get it. You're in the main event spot. You feel like you're carrying the ultimate warrior in that wrestling match. You feel you like you deserve more money than he got. I don't know what he got paid. I don't know what he thought he should have got paid, but I understand this is a business and money plays a part, but that's not the main reason he ends up leaving. He ends up leaving because he gets injured and the WWF keeps advertising him for house shows that they know he can't be on because he's sitting home injured. Rick Rude comes back to the office and said, you used my name to sell those tickets. So even though I wasn't there, I should get a cut of that house money. And the WF says, no way. And Rude ends up quitting and going to WCW. From, your, from a promoter standpoint in the World Wrestling Federation at this time, do you think it was commonplace for them to advertise someone that they knew wasn't going to make it to the house show? And if they're doing that, do you think the talent deserves a cut of that money since their name is being used to sell those tickets, even though they're not part of the show? I think it's, I think it's bullshit. And if that's, Oh, I like that that answer. Yeah. If that happens, Root has a legitimate gripe and I don't blame him for quitting 150%. However, if the, if the reason was he quit because of his SummerSlam payoff, that I have to dispute because you got to look at it this way. Hulk Hogan is on that show, right? I don't care if Ultimate Warrior is the champion. Hulk Hogan is still the guy for that company. I don't care who the champion is. So if they're paying people based off of that, um, Rick Rude, whatever he – and then I don't know what he got. I, I, God forbid it was $5,000 and, and he's hot as shit and I don't blame him. But I, without me knowing the data as far as what he got paid, what did he get paid prior prior pay-per-views around that same um, that same marquee of SummerSlam. So I'm, I'm curious what he got that year for WrestleMania or the uh, year prior for the Royal Rumble or Survivor Series. But without knowing that data, it's hard for me to make an accurate assumption or, or opinion. But I will say that he should probably – I've just been happy if, if it was a little bit higher than he got on the card. The so that's some sense. The WrestleMania that year, if he got if he got paid even the same or a little bit higher, if I was him, I probably would have let it go only because he had the opportunity to main event one of their major top four pay per views of the year. So, in my opinion, as far as a promoter goes, that's really elevating Root having him in the main event over Hulk Hogan. Um, so I think, I mean, again, it's a business and money talks, but the first situation like that, and, and, I, and I can't really, like I said, I can't really give you my opinion because I don't know the situation, but I probably would have been happy to be the main event if I got paid a little bit more, a little bit more than WrestleMania, it would have been okay with me. It was less than WrestleMania or, or, or the same. I can see why I can, he can be a little upset about it. But the other thing with uh, them advertising his name and him, them knowing he's not going to be there, hell yeah, I would be pissed off too. Because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't Red Rooster or Coco Beware. He was, he was more on the top side, you know what I mean? No, absolutely. They were probably using a return match against the Ultimate Warrior as their advertisement for these house shows, knowing he wasn't going to show up. 
And they probably had a replacement, of course, to fill in for him, and they probably have an, an excuse as to why he couldn't be there. But Rude sitting at home saying, if you're using my name, my likeness to sell those tickets, I need to get a cut of that money. And so it I was a sticking that. point that ended up seeing him leave the company, which is unfortunate. Yeah, man, I agree with you. Well, Tommy, I am I can't thank you enough for letting me pick the mind of a promoter because when I saw the card, the changes, the aftermath, I'm like, I just got to know if you're the guy running the show, kind of what's running through your mind. So I appreciate you letting me do that. Yeah, I think it was very interesting, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, it was very interesting. Thank you. All right, we got two more calls to end the show, so we're going to jump in all the way out to Chico, California, and check in with our friend Brian, the Brain. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Tommy. What's up, brother? How are you, man? I'll try to doing well. I'll try to uh, hit a bunch of points quick so the other guy can get on here. But uh, uh, basically, I was just going to say that uh, the first three summer sailings kind of had an awkward announcer situation with uh, – Billy Graham at the first one with Monsoon. I thought it would have been better to have Jesse Ventura for eight matches and then give the match before the main event off for Jesse to get ready and let Jesse do the main event because we heard brother about a million times from uh, superstar Billy Graham. And then second SummerSlam, you got Tony Schiavone and and Jesse just seemed to butt heads and didn't gel that great. And then the third one, Roddy, as you said, was the best possible solution. I think years before in uh, Mid-Atlantic with Gordon Soley, he really had the announcer gig down great. I didn't watch that live, but I've seen clips and thought he he did a little better then. And then when he came back and and did it this show, I think he was, uh, after the Hollywood experience, I think he would play to the camera a bit much and put himself over more than the talent a little bit at that point in his career. But you couldn't ask for a better uh, substitution at that point. And then uh, also the uh, the Bulldogs uh, against the Hart Foundation uh, in 87 when Dynamite was hurt. And right off the bat, Jimmy hits him in the head with the microphone. There was uh, echoes of that in uh, Shawn Michaels getting the chain to the knee at the beginning match to put him out. So it's uh, two-on-one with uh, Power and Glory against the Rockers. Um, also, uh, in the main event itself, I was I was glad to see that they put Warrior and Rude on last. They'd done that for uh, WrestleMania eight when they decided to put Hulk on last instead of the championship match. It just kind of left a, a flat feeling at the end of that WrestleMania. So at this SummerSlam, I felt they did the right thing. The only other uh, you know double main event card that highlights that era for me is that SummerSlam '92, and in that case, having the IC match with the you know, British uh, hero, Davy Boy, and the Intercontinental match going on last. And that was the right choice. But in this one, I thought for sure Rude and Warrior going on last was the right choice. And then there's a, a little part in between when they're setting up the cage where Hogan makes mention of hopefully Jack Tunney will see that he is the number one contender and put him back in that spot. So at that moment, I was thinking, oh, great, for WrestleMania 7, we're going to get Warrior Hogan too, but yeah. it was it's it still went to him the number one contender, but it was against Sarge, which you know it all worked out great. It was a great story, but you know at that SummerSlam I was thinking, oh, it's it's going to be it's going to be Hogan Warrior, and that got my you know, juices flowing thinking of a rematch in that, and then uh, it was probably addition by subtraction throwing the uh, Sapphire sherry match out and then uh, i wish dusty and savage got a little more time for their match but it did forward the story with uh 
dusty and million dollar man. And like I say, I'll, I'll let you guys uh, carry on. I just wanted to hit some of those points real quick and I'll leave some time for uh, uh, either Toto or Tom or whoever you got next. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you for the insight, Brian. Thank we you. Thanks for good. Hey, thanks for a great show. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Brian. Hey, Brian, guess what? Real quick. Cause I'm going to forget to mention it by the end of the show. We're going to have a special guest. On next, man, I was supposed to be doing it for this week, uh, but it, we just are scheduling line up. But next week, 100% here on the on the podcast, we're gonna have the return of a guest, jumping Jay, because we have WWE Hall of Famer, Mister USA Tony Atlas, live here next week on 80s Wrestling the podcast. Excellent. I'll try to do some homework and not ask questions that he's answered a, uh, a million times on other stuff before. Right, and then, uh, I look forward. I look forward to hearing it. Thank you guys again. Have a great week. You too, Brian. Right, Thank man. you so much. Tony Atlas next week, jumping Jay. Mister USA live on Eighties Wrestling the podcast next week. I'm looking forward to that, man. That's Me that's too, a big man. time guest. Let me let me tell you something. I was on the phone with him for an hour this morning because he's he's going to be <laughs> at my. Uh, New Jersey State Fair next week, so we're just BSing, man. He's such a nice guy. He's he's so old school, but he's he really knows his stuff, man. I I, I really really enjoy talking to him, and I think that you'll really love next week's episode, man. He's he's, he's uh, inside of information. I am looking forward to it. I saw when you guys did the Monday night virtual signing with him, and you're right. He's incredibly knowledgeable. He's very passionate about old school wrestling. And so I'm excited to hear his takes and have him interact with some of our callers. That's next week live. Tommy did it again. Got us a fantastic guest. But right now, it's not time for Miss USA Tony, uh, Tony Atlas. It's not time to sign off of this week's show. Right now, it's time. It's time. It's total with Tom time. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. I wasn't going to call in this morning because I – don't like SummerSlam 1990, and I'm sitting here listening to everybody give pretty high remarks from it. I thought it was it was garbage. I mean, really. I mean, I'm I'm 21 at the time when this came out. Now you all said that you were guys were younger, so maybe that has something to do with it. But I I was looking forward to this pay per view, and it just didn't deliver. Maybe because of all the substitutions. But when you have the Ultimate Warrior wrestling in the main event. It's never going to compare to what that other company down south was doing, the NWA. I mean, you're talking about the time when Flair was having all of his great matches with Steamboat and Funk, and we had this cartoon character. And it goes back to what I said last week, how the WWE is always about entertainment, and the NWA was about wrestling. And six months later, NWA put on a pay-per-view called Wrestle War, which was like the War Games, which was like one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time so for me this SummerSlam 1990 was garbage I didn't like it at all so I don't know what Danny from Butler was was talking about earlier saying it was one of the better ones it was garbage I mean if you look at it every single match was about five minutes or less they gave the Hart Foundation 14 minutes that's not wrestling that's hardly enough time to tell any story at all but let me just touch on one thing so Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter said he was going to do a story on me this week because last week I was 10 for 10 on the Ric Flair Trivia Contest. But guess what happened, guys? He dumped my story because somebody retired from the WWE and I got shelved for that story? Vince? I mean, really? 
That's bullshit. But anyway, what do you guys think about this weekend, um, SummerSlam in the WWE? Do you think since Jeff Jarrett is involved in the tag team match that there is a slight possibility that Flair may show up? I mean, Jarrett is involved in the match the following day. You know, Triple H is friends Good with call. Flair. Good call. You know, do you think that might happen? Let me hear about it. I- I, I, I think that's a good call. I, I well, stranger stranger things have happened, right? So there there has to be a reason. Well, he works for WWE, Jeff. So uh, you know he's on the roster. He probably got special permission to do this tag team match on Sunday with Ric Flair, and obviously it probably wasn't that hard him to get a yes, considering that Triple H loves Ric Flair. But it's not out of uh, it's that's a good call, man. I don't, I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. If it happened, it would be pretty cool, and it would show that. WWE is going in a different direction uh, that, that they have been, and I think that they need to do that. And I think that SummerSlam is probably the best place for them to start showing that because there'll be a lot of eyes on that show, uh, more so than this past Monday Night's Raw, where you know it was the first you know official day that Triple H has been in charge of the company. But I think that uh, all eyes will be on probably the second biggest or the third biggest pay-per-view of the year. So, yeah, man, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. I, I think it's a good idea, actually. And if I was in charge, if I was Triple H, uh, and I just heard this, I would be making the phone calls right now because it, it makes it, – it's a shock, especially for the hardcore fans, and that's the fans they really want to um, gravitate towards because they want to show the hardcore fans that the product is changing. So, yeah, I would do that 150%. Uh, I might what not about- make- I was, I was going to say real quick, I wouldn't make mention really if I was right. WWF that you know the pay-per-view is the next day. I don't think you have to because I think the word is probably out there good enough already. Or it could be an arrangement where uh, they're just trying to help these guys out. But I, it's not out of the ordinary for that to happen, I don't think. What about Vince showing up at the last match? I mean, no. that could happen. No, right? both, should, both events are in Nashville. He should stay far, far, far away from the product. Okay. I'm sorry. As a, promoter, right, as, a, as a promoter, as a promoter, I keep him far away. Right, hey, by the way, Toto, better... Toto, Toto real quick, real quickly, I will yep. mention to this. So we have Tony Atlas next week on the podcast. I was talking to him this morning for about an hour on the phone, and my last show I had in Totowa, I had Tony Atlas at, and Totowa Tom, who actually lives in the town, uh, Tony was trying to find his hotel. He couldn't find it. Toto with Tom actually went and picked up Tony and brought him to the building and back to the hotel. And, and, and somewhere along the way, Toto with Tom stops at an Italian restaurant and you got some clams that Tony Atlas really loved. He, on, the, on the phone today, he's requesting you for his appearance next Friday. He wants to meet you again. You bring him to the okay. fair next Friday night and you, you get him these clams. So it could be another on-air yeah. live exclusive next week, Jay, or the following week with Toto with Tom Tony Atlas and clams. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, it, it, he, I found him in a restaurant, and it, he actually bought me lunch. So he, you know, he, he well, bought it, me the clams. And put I it on your calendar next, next Friday. I'll, I'll give you all the details, but it'll be you and uh, Tony Atlas next Friday. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I knew you'd love that. I figured I'd surprise you. I knew that you were going to call into the show, so I figured it'd be a nice on-air surprise. He's requesting you, Tony Atlas. That's awesome. Well, he, he was my favorite wrestler growing up before Hogan, you know, as I said to him back in the early 80s when I was watching around, you know, 82, 83. 
He yeah, was man. my favorite, um, him and Rocky Johnson. But I like I like. I know. I remember you telling me that. So tell your yeah. tell your boss you need a half day next Friday. Got it. Thanks for letting me know about this. All right, brother. I figured you appreciate that. Have a good day, man. We'll talk to you soon. You too. Total Tom out. All right, Tommy, here's my two cents for what it's worth on what Total War Tom said. If Ric Flair shows up at SummerSlam to have an interaction with Jeff Jarrett, here's my quick yeah. like thought. My understanding of Ric Flair's last match is it's kind of a super card from different uh, wrestling federations, oh, different yeah. leagues around the world. They've got New Japan. They've got Major League Wrestling. They've got Impact. And so this would be a way that the WWE could – kind of join the hoopla without actually having to send wrestlers to be on the actual last five, match. Five paper. billion percent. You know, it's a way that they could wink of the eye, nod of the cab, that they understand what's going on in the industry. They're a part of it without being a part of it. The other thing I will say is if you web surf, you go out on the internet and search about SummerSlam 1990, there's a lot of people who think that it was underwhelming, that it didn't deliver, and that it didn't uh, live up to the hype of wrestling pay-per-views that the WF was putting out at this time. So Toto and Tom might be right on the button. And I think what happens is nostalgia plays an impact. And so when we look back at this, we only remember the good parts. We only remember the highlights. But Toto and Tom might have his fingers on the pulse of uh, the Internet because – it gets pooped on a lot throughout the whole internet, but I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. Selfishly, my favorite part was picking the brain of a promoter and kind of going through what you think they did substitution-wise, so I appreciate your insight to that. Before we sign off today, we know we got Tony Atlas next week, baby, but what's coming up between now and then for the world of 80s wrestling and the world of Tommy Vieira? Just uh, like I said, this weekend we will be at the New Jersey Balloon Festival in Reddington, New Jersey, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So for three days we'll have a booth there. If you're planning on coming, if you live in the New Jersey area, make sure you find the ISPW booth. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch SummerSlam this Saturday, uh, definitely 100%. And he asked me, I, I don't think I answered him completely, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the show, man. I, I think that I know a lot of people are crying about Roman and, and Brock one last time, but I mean, these, these two of the guys are two of the best guys in, in the world. And it's a situation where it's a no holds bar match. And last time they're ever going to wrestle each other. I think it's going to be good, man. I really, really do. I think that uh, they should have Roman beat him. I think Roman's the guy. I think that, you know, Brock's had his run. Not that Roman hasn't. Roman has his run too, but Roman's a little bit younger than Brock is. I think that, uh, Roman should go over convincingly in the main event uh, this Saturday at SummerSlam. I'm also looking forward to seeing uh, um, Baron Corbin against uh, McAfee. McAfee. Oh, I think you I think you cut out there. We heard Baron Corbin versus McAfee, and then it went silent. Are you still there, Tommy? All right, we'll see if Tommy's mic reconnects. But, yeah, I think we were all blown away with McAfee's performance, his charisma that he had at WrestleMania. And so I think that we're going to see more of the same. And I think he is a guy that can get the crowd excited. I think he's a guy that, for not being a trained professional wrestling, uh, has enough respect for the sport that he puts in the time necessary so that the stuff he does doesn't look like garbage. It's believable. I think the buildup to that has been great with Corbin attacking him 
Um, and so I think that is going to be a great match as well. And we didn't talk a lot about the whole Vince McMahon thing today because, well, we don't know a whole lot about the Vince McMahon. We know what everybody else knows because we read the same things that get put out. I think what's unknown behind the scenes is when you look at guys like Brock Lesnar, who are more of a Vince McMahon type guy, who have that almost father-son relationship with a Vince McMahon. I think the unknown part is guys like that who have a respect for Vince McMahon, how long will they stick around? Brock in particular. How long will he stick around now that Vince McMahon is not uh, going to be there on a daily basis? You know, I know he's retired, um, but I don't know if that's a uh, retired to the public eye, but he still has his hands in the mix. So I don't know if he's truly stepping away. But guys like Brock Lesnar, who do what they do solely on the respect and relationship they have with Vinnie Mac, what's that going to look like in the future? We don't know. And so this SummerSlam, this Saturday, I would put my money that Roman Reigns is going over because Roman Reigns is not going anywhere where Brock Lesnar might say, nope, if he's done, I'm done, and walk out for real. We'll see what happens. Tommy, are you there? Technical difficulties, but that's it for us this week on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Next week, stay tuned because we have live and in studio, Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. Until then, my name's Jumpin' Jay. He's Tommy Fierro. We hope you have a great, wonderful weekend, a great week ahead, and we'll see you right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. (laughs) 